Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Man's Downward Spiral. All right, well, last week we ended the message talking about the righteousness of God. So if you weren't here, I want to define what that means in the context of Romans chapter 1. And so the righteousness of God is that righteousness that is, everybody say the word, given, okay? The righteousness of God is that righteousness that is given to sinners who trust Christ alone for their salvation. And so when we finally come to the place in our lives where we realize that we can't save ourselves, when we finally get to the point in our lives, as I illustrated last week, the chin-up bar, God's standard's way up here, we're way down here, and mankind is trying to jump up. I got to be more religious. I got to be a better person. I got to be more devout. When we finally realize that we'll never get there on our own, when we finally realize that our righteousness won't cut it, that's when we finally get on our knees and we thank God for his revealed righteousness. And it's revealed in the context of the gospel. That's verses 16 and 17. And so the gospel, the gospel means good news. But there's always bad news before there's good news. You guys understand that, right? So many people want to go straight to the good news. And they don't even set the stage that there's bad news. Some really bad news that we all need to know about. What's the bad news? The bad news is that all of us are sinners. And that the wages of our sin, help me out, is death. I say that every single week because I know we have visitors every week, and they think that you've got to be a really devout person to earn your way to heaven. It's not true. And so the wages of our sin is death. What does that mean? That means that we deserve the wrath of God. Now, this is where a lot of people just turn preachers off. I don't want to hear the wrath of God. I just want to hear about the love of God. Well, you just want to know about half of God then, (laughs) because God has two natures. He has a holy nature, and he has a loving nature. And so because we have violated God's word, his law, we deserve the wrath of God. And that's what Paul's going to talk about today. That's the bad news, okay? But how many of you guys are thankful for good news? And the good news is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son And so Jesus, the eternal God, came to the earth, wrapped himself in human flesh, went to a Roman cross. And as he's hanging on the Roman cross, Jesus endured the wrath of God that we should have received. That's good news. Jesus hung half naked between heaven and earth, and he received the wrath of God against sin. Why would he do that? Because he wants you to go to heaven forever with him he died the third day he got up he walked victoriously out of that tomb victorious over sin victorious over death victorious over satan and now if we will turn from our sin and by faith and faith alone receive christ as our savior then god will give us his righteousness It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. And so here we are. I can't get it. I can't reach it. 
Jesus, save me. And God says, I thought you'd never ask. And he lifts us up to a place we could never reach on our own. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And not only does he save us, but once he gets us up there, then he helps us live the Christian life. All right, son, ready? One, come on, two, three, because it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians chapter two. Now, it's so important that you and I receive the righteousness of God that's contained in the gospel. I can't overemphasize how important this is. You say, okay, why is it so important? It's your next point. If we do not receive the righteousness of God, all that's left is the wrath of God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, and I want you to underline two words here. First of all, ungodliness and, different Greek word, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so it's important to receive the righteousness of God, not just so we can be happy and fulfilled. It's important to receive the righteousness of God so that we can escape the wrath of God. Now, I want, you to, I want to encourage you about something. When you think about the wrath of God, don't think about man's anger. Okay, don't compare the two. Some of you guys had fathers who raised you in a very dysfunctional way. They lost their temper. Maybe they abused you. Okay, that's not what we're talking about at all. When you think about God's wrath, don't confuse it with man's anger because man's anger is often motivated by egotistical, selfish reasons, right? You know, you, you disrespect me, you want some, you know, that, that whole hell thing, that's not God at all. God's wrath, ladies and gentlemen, is always pure. It's always righteous. And listen, God's wrath is always just. God is always right, and he's never wrong. I have to laugh. Sometimes I hear people say, man, I've been dealt a bad deal here on earth. And so when I die and go to heaven, the big man upstairs has some splaining to do. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. God does not, does not have to explain anything to you. You're going to have to explain yourself to God one day. And so the wrath of God is what Paul is talking about here in chapter 1 because he's setting the stage, the bad news first, before he gets to the good news later on in his letter. And it's revealed from heaven in response to man's ungodliness and his unrighteousness. What do those two words mean in the Greek? Uh, we'll put it up on the screen for you if you're taking notes. Ungodliness means a lack of reverence for God. Unrighteousness means sins that violate God's law. Okay, the first word in the original language is speaking about a sinful attitude. The second word is speaking about sinful actions. The first word is speaking about a sinful attitude toward God. I have no fear of God. I don't even believe he exists. And the second word has to do with sinful actions against people. By the way, if you have no fear of God, then you have no problem offending, hurting, damaging people. 
Jesus comes on the scene. He says, hey, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God and love people. How does man respond? Man has an ungodly attitude, no love for God, and unrighteous actions. He hurts people, just the opposite of what Jesus said. Now look at verse 18 again. I want to emphasize one more word. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, please underline the word, suppress, very important, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, what does the word suppress mean? In the original language, it means to hold down. So we're going to find out in a little while as we continue to go verse by verse that God has revealed to all mankind the truth of his existence. The problem is not with God. The problem is with man. Man has chosen to suppress that truth about God. Man has chosen to put his hands over his ears and say, no, thank you. Man has chosen to hold back the truth about God. How many of you guys have ever had this experience, which I've had? where you start to tell someone about God or about Jesus, and they say, don't preach at me. You ever had that experience before? Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. Don't preach at me. Put a lid on it. I don't want to hear it, right? And yet God is so gracious. Aren't we glad he's so gracious to us? Because he just keeps wooing, he keeps drawing. And so John 16, 8, Jesus said that the Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so right now, for those who don't know the Lord, okay, the Holy Spirit is there. He's convicting them about sin and judgment and righteousness. Why? Because he loves them. He's preaching the bad news to them, right? You're not right. Convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, what, well, how is man or most people responding like this? La, 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 I don't want to hear it. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And you may wonder, well, why do people do that? Jesus told us in John chapter 3. He said, this is the condemnation that the light. By the way, who's the light of the world? Go ahead and say his name. Okay? Jesus says, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so people suppress the truth about God because they love darkness more than they love the light, and therefore they are without excuse. Now, I always get this question as a pastor. What about the guy who lives thousands and thousands of miles away on some remote island? You know, and who's never heard. Um, won't they be excused? I get that question sometimes. By the way, it's amazing to me how many people are so concerned about the guy thousands of miles on the island, but you don't love your neighbor enough to go tell your neighbor about Jesus. Something's wrong with that picture. Right? And so what about the guy? You know, won't they be excused? Well, let's see what God's word says, starting in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is hidden. Is that what it says? Uh, the problem's not with God. 
because what may be known of God is manifest, and I want you to underline the next two words, in them, in them. For God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for since the, please underline, creation, not evolution, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, not evolved. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, what's the next two words? Without excuse. Well, what if someone's never heard the truth about God? Ladies and gentlemen, everybody's heard the truth about God. Everybody. Everyone has heard the truth, and so no one will be excused if they reject him. You say, well, how do you know everybody's heard the truth? It's your next point. If you're taking notes, there's actually two witnesses. The two witnesses of conscience and creation have manifested the truth about God. Conscience and creation. Let me show you where I got that. Look at verse 19 again. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, in them, for God has shown it to them. Everyone has a conscience within them. You're born with it. Everybody has this innate um, knowledge that God exists, that there is a moral lawgiver. They know that God exists, and they know right that there is right and that there is wrong. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith said, and I quote, Universally, there is within the consciousness of man that which I know to be right and that which I know to be wrong, it is manifest within me. And so when somebody, um, um, even if they don't even know the Lord, when someone's getting ready, contemplating, thinking about doing what is wrong, they have a little still small voice in their head, right? Don't do that. That's not right. But how do... Most unregenerate people respond to that still small voice. Ah, la, 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 la. They ignore their conscience within. They suppress the truth, and they continue on in darkness. That's how most people respond. In fact, some people continue to sin against their conscience. 1 Peter 4.2, you may want to write that down. Paul talks about those who have a seared conscience. In other words, if a cowboy is getting ready to brand his livestock, right, he takes the hot branding, hour, branding iron, and pssst, right, and, well, you feel that, whatever, right? But then later on, if you walk up to that cow and you touch that brand, there's no feeling. Why? It's, it's scar tissue. Some people have seared their conscience. They keep sinning against it. They had that still small voice, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, ignore, ignore. And what's happening is scar tissue is building up around that innate knowledge of God, that innate idea that there is right and there is wrong. And they keep, and the more they sin against their conscience, the less bothered they are by their sin. Our penitentiaries are filled with people like this. You can lie, you can steal, you can rape, you can kill, you can molest children, and there's no guilt, there's no remorse at all. Why? They've seared their conscience. Is that God's fault? Here's where you say no. No. It's 
not God's fault. Why are we blaming God for? It's our fault. So God has given us the witness of conscience within, and he has also given us the witness of creation without. That's in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. You see, it's not hidden. Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I love when David was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. I'm reading from Psalm, 1, Psalm 19. Hey, listen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice, the voice of creation, is not heard. Do you see this? The witness of creation has gone all around the world ever since Adam and Eve. There's always been this witness, and their voice is heard. It says there in Psalm 19, verse 3, their voice is heard everywhere. Their line has gone out through all the earth. By the way, how do you think a guy named Job got saved? Job wasn't a Jew. Most people believe that Job was a contemporary of Abraham, and yet he believed in the one true God, right? And so, hey, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. He says, in them, he, God, has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. The sun rises from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so I love the statement, hey, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky shows his handiwork. I love that. I don't know why I can't explain it, but there's something about being out in nature. For me, I sense God's presence more when I'm outside in nature going for a prayer walk more often than I do in some room shut up somewhere. Why? Because as I'm walking around, I'm like, man, check out that lake. Look at those trees. Man, listen to those birds. Look at the sky. Wow, it's 37 degrees. Praise the Lord, right? This is awesome, right? And so, hey, creation speaks of a creator. Duh. Abraham Lincoln said, and I quote, I can see how it might be possible for man to look down on the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say, there is no God. You see? Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. God's handiwork is all around us. God's handiwork is seen in the beautiful sunset. His handiwork is seen um, at night when you look out at the starry sky on a clear night. And his handiwork is seen when you're walking through a garden and you see all these beautiful uh, flowers. His handiwork is seen when you drive up to the mountains and you see the mountains and you see the waterfalls. I can go on and on and on. But the beauty of creation points to the reality of the creator. The beauty of the design around you points to the reality of a designer. I wish I had more time. I don't have time. Uh, to get into the intricate design of nature. 
But we've talked before about how the earth is just far enough away from the sun. Any closer, we burn up. Any farther away, we freeze to death. The, the earth is just tilted at just the right tilt to sustain life, spinning at just the right speed to sustain life. The moon is just far away so the tides aren't all screwed up. And, 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 and how many of you guys are thankful for gravity this afternoon? We're not floating up into outer space, right? Bursting or whatever. That's design. It speaks of a designer. When you look at the intricate design of the human body, I dare you this week to go on Google and just click, uh, uh, type in eyesight and the eyeball and study for hours the intricate design of this little eyeball and how incredible it is that we can even see. Listen, the design of the eyeball or the rest of our human body speaks of a designer. When you look at something that Charles Darwin didn't even understand back in his day, when you look at the code within our DNA, that can't just happen. No, there's been a code that's been programmed unique to you and only you into your DNA. And that speaks of a programmer. And yet, it's amazing that people would still rather believe the lie of Darwinian evolution than accept the truth, the fact of intelligent design. Why? Because they've suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. They love darkness more than they love light. Ben Stein, back in 2008, uh, made a movie. He went against the grain of society. He was politically incorrect. And he made a movie back in 2008, which, which uh, showed the problems of Darwinian evolution. The movie's called Expelled. I got to see it at a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference. Um, I really hope some of you will see it as well. In fact, I'm just wondering, how many of you guys have seen Expelled um, before? It's amazing. Every, every single service is the same, about 5%. Okay, so 95% of you have never seen this movie. So what I'm going to do kind of unorthodox, but I'm just going to give two minutes to show a trailer of this movie, and I hope it'll motivate you uh, to check it out later on. Check, check out this trailer. Moving through history in an unguided and undesigned way, the theory of evolution. Excuse me? Yes, Ben. How did life begin in the first place? Mr. Stein, you have the same question every time. Well, you never answer it, sir. It develops, it dis, we are, dis, you, you know, we've been through this so many times, you have Could there so... have been an intelligent designer? So what are you here for? I made a movie. Join Ben Stein in this year's most controversial documentary film. If they value their careers, they should keep quiet about their intelligent design views. I was viewed as an intellectual terrorist. I have never been treated like this in my 30 years in academia. I lost my job. It's a funny thing that questions that aren't properly answered don't go away. How did we get from an inorganic world to the world of the cell. It might have started off on the backs of crystals. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. So intelligent designers believe that God is the designer. God is about as unlikely as fairies, angels, 
uh, hobgoblins, etc. Science makes no use of the hypothesis of God. I mean, it's essentially official policy of the National Academy of Science that religion and science will not be related. There are people out there who want to keep science in a little box where it can't possibly touch a higher power, cannot possibly touch God. Must be some movie. So, Ben Stein decides, back in 2008, I'm going to go against the establishment. I'm going to do what's politically incorrect, and I'm going to ask the question, what about intelligent design? Why is it that only evolution is taught in our public schools? Did you know there was a day in America where intelligent design and evolution were both taught side by side, but then the courts, and leave it to the courts, to always mess it up. The court said, no, you can't teach that here. And so right now, your kid in public school is being taught a lie. And as parents, we just say, oh, well. And we, we don't go against the grain. We don't dare to be politically incorrect because we don't want to deal with the conflict. And it's all a myth. You go down to Washington, D.C., as I have like eight times in the past. You walk through the Museum of Natural History. It's filled with myth. It's filled with lies. And so, hey, we are designed by an intelligent designer. His name is Yahweh. And we need to glorify him as God. We need to worship him for who he is. We need to stop saying no to the witness of creation and no to the witness of our conscience. We need to just humble ourselves and realize that our little peanut, puny, finite minds can never figure out the infinite wisdom of our almighty creator. And just accept what the word of God says. We need to accept what the word of God says, not what man says. Now, I know some of you, this kind of opens up a Pandora's box, and you guys have all these questions, and so I'm going to point you to a website that will answer 95% of all your questions about this topic, okay? So you may want to write this down also. It's called AnswersInGenesis.org. I'm going to say that three times so you can write it down. It's AnswersInGenesis.org. One more time. AnswersInGenesis.org. That website is, as far as I know, the best one out there. It has so many incredible resources that will help you understand the truth of intelligent design, and it will shine the light on the myth of Darwinian evolution. Look at verse 21. Because, this is important, although they knew God, now, of course, the word new there is not talking about, you know, a personal relationship. That comes later in the book when you get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it's, they knew, in other words, they knew that God existed, okay? And you, you see the implications of verse 21 because although they knew God, what does that mean? That means that nobody is born an atheist. People become atheists because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, but nobody's born an atheist. Why? Because we have the witness inside of us and the witness outside of us, and we know that God existed. Everybody at some point in their life believes in God. I had a lady in tears after first service, crying, because she was naming one friend after another friend after another friend. She goes, I went to school, Christian school with these people. 
and at one point they believed in the existence of God. Now they're all in their 30s and they're devout, hardened atheists. And she's weeping for her friends. What happened? They chose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that led them down a downward spiral that leads to a cesspool of immorality, which we'll see in a little while. And so in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful. Now, that, that's remarkable too. They're not thankful. See, that's what happens when you harden your heart and you refuse to believe in the existence of God, then what happens is that when you are a recipient of all the blessings of God day after day after day, the fact that you have good health, the fact that you have a roof over your head, the fact that you're wearing clothes right now and that most of us are gonna eat three square meals every single day and probably some snacks in between, the fact that we're all gonna lay our head down on a pillow tonight, the fact that many of us have been blessed with a spouse and with children and a car and a job, right? Listen, all those things, we're supposed to be thankful to God. For those things, they're all his blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there, there is no shadow of turning. But, but listen, when people harden their hearts against God, they're not going to bow their head in a restaurant and thank God for their food. Neither were they thankful. But, middle of 21, they became futile in their thoughts. The word futile means empty in their thoughts, in other words, they are empty-headed. And their foolish hearts were, what's the word? Darkened. Professing to be wise. I'm so intelligent. I'm, I'm high up on the ladder of academia. And I speak down to the world in my intelligence. Professing to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. There's idolatry here. That's the next step down. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Your next point, if you're taking notes, is that man has suppressed the truth of God, and he's turned to idolatry. See, what happens is that when someone says no to the witness of creation without, no to the witness of, creation, of conscience within, when they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, listen, and they reject the truth of creator God, they don't stop worshiping. People say, I don't worship anybody or anything. You're lying to yourself. Everybody worships something or someone. Why? Because God created a void in our hearts. And so we're always trying to fill the void inside of our heart, right? And so what happens is that when people suppress the truth and unrighteousness and reject the truth of the one true creator God, then what happens at that point is that um, they don't stop worshiping. They change the object of their worship. They turn to idolatry, I remember in Acts chapter 17 when I was teaching verse by verse through that book, there's the Apostle Paul, and he's walking through Athens. And by the way, he, he wrote Romans right after this time of he had in Athens. And you guys remember the story in Acts 17? He's walking around, and he can't believe all the idolatry that's around him. It's everywhere. Athens. 
the home of, of, of Socrates and Plato, Athens, the center of mathematics and political science, right, and philosophy of this place where everybody is supposed to be so smart, filled with idolatry. Paul looks up and he sees the Acropolis rising 500 feet or so above sea level. And on the Acropolis, there's the Parthenon. Have you guys ever been to Athens and you've seen the Parthenon? The, the remains are still there if you go today. And so Paul's there in the first century. He sees the Parthenon. If he walked up there, guess what he would have saw? Right in the middle of the Parthenon would have been a, a big image of Athena, the patron goddess of the, the people of Athens. As Paul walked around the city in that day, he would have seen over 3,000 different images and altars to false idolatrous gods. Poseidon, he would have seen Poseidon and Zeus and, and Apollo and Hermes and more and more and more. And, and no doubt, because the Bible says that Paul's heart was greed when he saw all this idolatry. And no doubt he's thinking, man, these people are supposed to be so smart. But they're so dumb, so dumb. And by the way, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Our world is filled with idolatry and images. Even here on the Treasure Coast a couple days ago, uh, my wife and I went and we were with an acquaintance and we were walking around this property that he was thinking about buying. It's 30 acres. And he goes, you got to see this. And so we're, we're walking back in the woods. We're kind of stepping over rocks and stumps. And, and there's this old broken down dilapidated house and and he goes you gotta look inside and we went and looked inside and there the whole bottom floor has been gutted and there is an elaborate shrine to buddha right down the street i could we looked in there's this big statue of buddha and all these other images everywhere and he said come over here and check this out and so we walked another acre and we looked out and there on the lake there's this giant statue of mrs buddha Right here on the Treasure Coast. Now, here's the thing. In America, most people don't bow down to images of wood and images of stone. But don't be fooled. America is filled with idolaters. When you understand the definition of idolatry, what is that definition? We'll put it up for you. Anything that leads to the dethronement of God from the heart, that's idolatry. Now, please don't close me off here, because this may be holding some of you back from becoming all that God wants you to become. Again, in America, we don't have a lot of people bowing down to images of wood and stone. Do you know what Americans bow down to? Money, alcohol, drugs, sex, sports team. There's people today who skip church because they're planning a party at their house for the AFC or NFC championship. A career, or they bow down to themselves. The other things in life become of primary importance. They're trying to fill that void inside with anything and everything, right? But nothing, nothing, nothing satisfies. In fact, those things will absolutely enslave you. They won't set you free. And so who, don't answer out loud, who has the primary spot in your heart? And I want to encourage you, don't lie to yourself. You don't do anybody any good if right now you're lying to yourself because you can't lie to God. God sees right into your heart. He knows if he's sitting on the throne or not. 
So who has primary place inside of your heart? Is it Jesus Christ, the Lord, the God of the universe? Or is it something else? If it is something else, you are just as guilty of idolatry as some pagan bowing down to an image in a third world nation. You're just as guilty. And if right now this is bothering you, it's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore it. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Open your heart. Humble your heart. Get with Jesus today. Say, I can't lie to you, but I'm sorry that you're not number one. Today, I put you back on the throne of my heart. Rule me. Direct me. Do whatever you want to do with me. I dare you guys to do that. And you watch what the Lord will do in your heart and in your life. Do that. See what he does. He'll turn your world upside down. And by the way, he'll give you a peace in your heart. All that junk you're trying to fill the void with, nothing fills the void in your heart like Jesus. and His love and his grace. And so, look at verse 24 now. We're still going down the steps into darkness here. Here's the, probably the saddest verse in the Bible, verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up. You guys see that? Man gave up God. God gave up man. God gave them up to uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. He says, amen. Man gave up God, God gave up man, and he allowed man to self-destruct. That's your next point if you're taking notes. When a person suppresses the truth about God, he starts down a downward path that ultimately leads to self-destruction. You guys see how this works now? He's laying it out. Okay, so, so here's the recap. When man says no to the witness of, creation, of conscience within, no to the witness of creation without, he inevitably changes what he worships and he begin, becomes an idolater. And then at some point, and only God knows this point, at some point God says, have it your way. And he steps away and allows that person in the lust of their heart to degrade into a cesspool of immorality. Where do you think that staircase is going to lead? It leads to hell. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, said, and I quote, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. They choose it. Look at verse 26 now. You remember they are given up to the lust of their hearts. They're dishonoring, verse 24, their bodies among themselves. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God 
gave them up, there it is again, to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. That's lesbianism. Verse 27, likewise also the men having, I'm sorry, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was what? Which was due. Not God's fault. It's man's fault. Now, I know this is not politically correct. I know that I'm swimming upstream. I know that this weekend I'll make a lot of people mad. But I have to teach God's word. And so your next point, if you're taking notes straight from the word of God, is this. Homosexuality was accepted in the Roman Empire, but it was absolutely rejected by God. Now, how many of you guys believe that God's word is eternal? How many of you guys believe that God's word is just as applicable in our century as it was in the first century? This is God's word. We can choose to change his word, or we can choose to change ourselves. Or better yet, let God change us. And so, homosexuality accepted in the Roman Empire. Likewise, today, homosexuality accepted in America more and more than ever. But it's still rejected by God. Now, here's why. Because it goes against what God created. And it goes against God's will. From the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, here's God's plan. There's one man and there's one woman. And when and if they fall in love, they make a commitment to one another. It's called marriage. And they come together and they make vows to one another. And they stay together in an exclusive committed, heterosexual relationship, and hopefully, maybe they have kids, and they raise those kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and those kids get married, and they have kids, and raise those kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and thereby, the righteousness of God is spread throughout the world. Can you imagine because from the beginning, this was God's plan. From the beginning, God communicated what I just said to Adam and Eve. Can you imagine if man would have stayed on course with God's plan? What a different world we would live in today. But instead, man has perverted the gift of God and said, no, I'll have it my way. Homosexuality was rampant in the Roman Empire. It was practiced by people in the highest of positions. Um, Charles Ryrie in the Ryrie Study Bible says, and I quote, Socrates and 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors practiced homosexuality. 14 of the first 15 Caesars practiced homosexuality. David Guzik says, and I quote, at the very time Paul was writing, Nero was emperor. He had taken a boy named Sporus and had him castrated. He then married him with full ceremony, brought him to the palace with a great procession, and made the boy his wife. Later, Nero lived with another man, and Nero was declared to be the other man's wife. Chuck Swindoll says, and I quote, 
in Greek culture, a high-born male was expected to maintain a same-sex affair with a much younger partner. It was rampant in the Roman Empire. Now, some people will read verses 26 and 27, and they'll say, well, here's what Paul really means. Paul, you know, he's just speaking out against promiscuous homosexual sex. Those who have many partners, just like um, a promiscuity is wrong in the heterosexual realm, so it's wrong in the homosexual realm. But when one man marries another man and they're committed in a loving, exclusive relationship for life, there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, that's not what it says. You're injecting your ideas upon God's word. I would not want to stand before God and try to explain that to him. Here's what we need to do. We need to take God's word at face value. And again, don't change God's word, but allow God to change us. And so whether one, somebody has one partner or multiple partners, homosexuality is described in verse 26 as a, quote, vile passion. It's described again in verse 26 as against nature. It's described in verse 27 as shameful. I mean, just leave spirituality out of it for a moment. Look at the human anatomy. There's some parts that are meant to fit in other parts. You see, but the man says no, and they pervert what God has originally intended. Listen to this. David Guzik also writes, quote, on average, if you're, if you're listening, can you say amen here? On average, 43% of homosexuals say that they have had 500 or more sexual partners in their lifetime. And only 1% of homosexuals say that they have had four or less sexual partners in their lifetime. What's the result of this? The result, at the end of verse 27, they receive in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. The Centers for Disease Control reports that homosexuals are 50 to 60 times more likely to contract AIDS than other groups, and that's why the life expectancy of a homosexual man is so much shorter than a heterosexual man because of disease that comes from their perversion. Now, you know, most people, they do this. La, 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 I don't want to hear this. Our society would rather light up the White House with rainbow colors than accept God's truth and say face value. And listen, you can go, la, 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 straight down to hell. And don't you dare blame God, because it's been in the book for 2,000 years. And so what's needed? What's needed is a change of heart. Now, in case you were wondering uh, or thinking that homosexuality is like the worst sin, it tops the list, it's the worst of all, no, you got to read the rest of the chapter. So look at verse 28 now. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. See, there's a problem right there. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, and look at this, sexual immorality, that's pornea. And so if you're sleeping with your girlfriend or looking at porn, stop pointing your fingers at homosexuals. You're guilty too. And by the way, we're all guilty because we've all done at least one, two, three, or more of these, right? Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. I'm pausing there because there's teenagers in the room. Verse 31, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That's a, that, that's a pretty good recap of the history of man. Verse 32, who knowing, this is crazy, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And, and it always cracks me up. When, when some people, some Christians are so self-righteous, right? And they're like, well, why, I, I'm so righteous and they're such sinners. I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never have sex outside of marriage. Now, on Friday night, I'll rent a movie and I'll watch two other people having sex in my living room, but I would never do that. What are you doing? You're, end of verse 32, approving of those who practice such, such things. Here's an idea. Pray about never renting an R-rated movie ever again. Why? Why are you allowing nudity into your home? Why are you allowing 52 F-bombs to be dropped in your home? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're being conformed to the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Okay, but back to my point, some Christians who are prone to think that homosexuality is the worst sin on earth you need to understand that Paul just listed over 20 vices, and as I said earlier, all of us have, been, have committed one, two, three, or more of those, so we are all guilty. This is the point of Romans 1, that all of us are under the judgment of God, that all of us need the grace of God. And so I want to end this way. I want to end in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. And I'm going to show you what our message to the world should be and what it shouldn't be, okay? So 1 Corinthians 6, we'll start in verse 9. Okay, so if you're looking at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, just say amen so I know you're there. Okay, here we go. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Right? Do not be deceived. Pastor Mike, everybody makes it to heaven. Come on. Everyone has their different road. Just got to be sincere. Um, do not be deceived. Okay, so who's not going to heaven? Here it is. Neither fornicators, that's sex before marriage, those who practice that in an unrepentant way, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, here's our word, homosexuals, nor sodomites, different Greek word. If you're wondering why Paul lists two different words, 
because one man is the woman, the other man is the man. That's how specific Paul is. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't say that, Paul would say, to, to be a killjoy. I don't say that to criticize you or judge you. I'm warning you because I love you. And then I love verse 11 because here's the good news. The good news that follows the bad news. Verse 11. And such, what's the word? Were. were. Okay, everybody please say were. were. Everybody watching on the internet right now, you say were. Right? Everybody listening on the podcast, say were. That's the good news of the gospel. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the good news of the gospel. Right? Okay. So check this out. Check this out. Before any of us get on our high horse, here's what our message is not. Our Christian message is not, hey, we're Christians and we're so righteous, but you're the world and you're so bad. And so we're over here and you're over there and we're going to criticize you and we're going to judge you because we're so much better than you. That's not our message. Don't misunderstand it. No, our message is, hey, guess what? We used to do the same junk. We used to be the same people. Those sins used to characterize our lives. We could never reach God's righteousness or God's standard. But here's what we did. We responded to the Holy Spirit and his love. And we turned to Christ in faith. And what did he do? He washed us. He sanctified us. He justified us. He did what nobody else could ever do. He came inside. He changed our heart. And that led to a change of lifestyle. So maybe I used to be gay, but now I'm not gay anymore. Maybe I used to be a womanizer, but now I'm not a womanizer anymore. Maybe I used to smoke dope or do drugs, but now I don't do that anymore. Maybe alcohol used to control my life, but now... I don't do that anymore. Why? Because I'm so good? No, because Jesus is so awesome and so great. He changed my heart. He's preparing me for eternity. It always has been and always will be about God's grace and his love. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.